Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the physical, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about developing an emergency services co-op with Amanda McCleary, DVMMS. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. Dr. McCleary owns McCleary Equine Services in Florida. She grew up in the Midwest riding and competing. She earned her bachelor's degree in biology from Kansas State University, where she ran varsity track and field and cross country, achieving NCAA Division I All-American status twice in her career. After graduating from Kansas State, McCleary received a master's degree in genetics and her DVM from Texas A&M University, graduating with top honors. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. McCleary. Thanks for having me. When we, you and I were first talking about this topic uh, to have a discussion on this podcast, you said if it wasn't for this co-op, you probably wouldn't still be an equine practice. Why is that? I think the biggest thing for me, and it's different for everybody, but having kids changed being an equine vet for me quite a bit. I probably worked too much early in my career, at least for me, Um, you know, early mornings, late evenings. But then when I had my little boy, who's now two and a half, I wanted to be home to feed him dinner, to give him bath time, at least sometimes, right? I wanted to be there for my family, um, for my husband. And those things became much more important to me. And there came a point where the, my practice had grown to a point where it was very, it was busy and there would be emergencies every day, every evening, something would take me away from the house. And so without the emergency cooperative, I would have, I would be missing so much of my life. That's important to me. My job's important to me, of course, but so is my family and my family would have won out over the two. If I had to come down to choose, I would want to be there for them. And so I would have had to choose a career that would allow me to be home on a more consistent basis or to have a more predictable schedule. So this co-op has given my family predictability, which is big for my husband. Like he understands I have to be out and do emergencies. That's part of this job, but to be able to confine it to certain days of the week or certain weekends has helped us tremendously. Well, and as you and I had discussed before, that's such an important part of losing equine veterinarians out of practice this year. They go to small animal for the more regulated hours and more predictable workload. So tell me a little about the co-op that you're involved in, how it got started, who's involved and who kind of runs the co-op. Sure. Um, co- I will say that co-ops are a part of the practice culture in this area. I am at, just around Gainesville, Florida, so kind of north, north central Florida area. And there were co-ops when I came that had been around for a long time. They changed, they fluctuate, the members changed, and there were different people involved. But they have the, the solo practitioners in this area had been doing this for a while. So we didn't dream it up, obviously. But our co-op, um, there is five of us currently in the co-op. It started, I want to say in 2017, I believe we've been doing this um, for that long. No one specifically runs the co-op. It's very much a group effort. And um, we're all solo practitioners. So there's no um, no bigger practices. So we each run our own ship. And um, we cover a geographic area that's probably 
oh, within an hour of each person. But sometimes that can mean that that clients for some some of us, if we're covering for somebody else, will be up to an hour and 15, hour and a half from us. So sometimes it does make for longer driving. Um, let's see, what else about the five of us? Oh, it's not all just equine, which is an important thing to mention. Um, we're all just large animal specific, but there are some of us who do work on small ruminants and large ruminants. And so that's part of being in this co-op is sometimes that pushes your comfort zone if you're an equine only person, but it's again, worth the effort to do that, to get that relief from having the constant emergency coverage. Um, we let's see so we meet on a monthly basis which i think is a, important to the sustainability of the co-op we don't meet just for scheduling reasons we'll usually schedule about three or four months in advance um, but we'll meet monthly no matter what just to go over case discussions or we call it journal club but it's mostly just talking about cases or just giving each other moral support and just i guess deepening those relationships among, among the vets that are in the co-op um, which is important when you're take caring, taking, care, taking care of each other's clients, that you know that these people really well and you understand how they practice and it just helps with that, that having a good relationship that, that is regularly tended to, I guess, helps keep us all in the loop. So when you all started your co-op, even realizing that there had been other co-ops in your area, did you get any client pushback about when you call for an emergency, they don't get their own vet. And how do you handle that? That's a great question. Um, that's definitely a concern that some of us had going into the co-op because we we market our practices as ourselves a lot. At least I'm very guilty of doing that. I'm McCleary Equine, right? So it's me. I'm your vet. We market that we are there, available. Um, equine vets are the worst at it. We give out our cell numbers and want to be available for our clients all the time. So when we do change that expectation to suddenly, oh, wait, but it's Tuesday night. It's not my night. You're going to get Dr. X instead. Um, clients can be, anytime you change the expectations, people can be upset. And so we kind of took the bull by the horns and um, prevent, presented this unified front. We held a client uh, seminar with that we all, that the five of us uh, hosted. So we all came together um, and invited all of our clients. We got a drug company to cover uh, a dinner for everybody since it was the five of us joining together. It was easy to make a nice presentation and make a nice meal for, have a nice meal for everybody. And we did one on emergency care since that's what it was going to come down to. And um, it was really fun. We all gave a part of the presentation. The clients got to see us working together. The clients got to see the faces that they may be dealing with after hours, which kind of created a little bit of a relationship there where they felt they knew had those other vets and it wasn't just a stranger they were getting when they called after hours. So I think that was huge. And then COVID hit. Our plan was to do that again and we haven't been able to do that. Um, but I think I still have clients asking if we're going to do that again. They loved it. So that I think has been a big benefit to us. The other thing that we did, um, one of the more artistic veterinarians in the group uh, made a magnet, a magnet with all of our logos on it and all of the numbers. Um, so it basically, it reiterates that we're not the same practice because that's a common confusion as well, that they think we're all working under the same practice. So e having each person's logo on the magnet made it very clear these are five separate entities, but then it listed all of the phone numbers. So they're in an easy to find place and it's something that is easy to give to a client. Um, I give it to all of my new clients, especially when I'm there for a wellness appointment, like, hey, 
I tell them about the emergency co-op. I discuss like these, I trust these vets with my animals any day. I very much support them and talk up the other vets that they are good and you can trust them with your emergencies. And I kind of just explain how it works that if they call on emergency and it's not my night to be on, it will say on my message who it is. And it'll be one of these wonderful other veterinarians is usually how I present it and give them the magnet. And so that's been, again, another way to approach it before they find out on emergency one night, they know about it going in. Oh, this is what they do. And so it's not a surprise and they accept that very well. And we get lots of positive feedback on that. Um, many clients are like, oh, I love that vet that covered. She did such a great job. And I'm always like, oh, I'd love to hear that. I pass that along to that vet because everybody wants to hear that they're doing a good job, right? Like it doesn't worry me that my clients love whoever covered for them. I want them to, to, to like that vet and feel like they were taken care of. That's important and reflects well on me. I feel like some people get worried that it's, you know, competition coming into your clients, but I don't see it that way. Well, and that is one of the issues that, you know, I have heard from veterinarians is they're, they're worried about other vets stealing their clients. I mean, what do you do if a client goes, gosh, I like Susie better than Dr. Susie better than Dr. Martha. I mean, what do you do? Right. And that's definitely something that you're opening yourself up to with this co-op situation, right? That's, that's going to be there. And so again, we're, when we do our monthly meetings, this is something where that would happen. It's the time to have that discussion. Um, Hey, that your client is, is contacting me. What we usually do is just pick up the phone and call the other vet. Hey, your client's calling me. Um, just wanted you to know that, you know, so it's nothing that's underhanded. Nobody's marketing to anyone else's clients. That's a very important thing as well. Um, and so in the times that it's happened with me, I'm like, I'm, I'm fine with it personally. Like if the person clicks better with that other vet, like I don't own them. They're not my person. Right? I'm like, I'm okay with yeah. them moving over, but that's how I practice. I guess it doesn't, I don't have that fear as much. I mean, you just do the best you can and you work with the people that like you and work with you. And if it turns out they like the other vet better and so it goes, but it really hasn't been my, you know, in the years that we've been doing this, I haven't seen it as a real issue. Okay. Um, when you're doing this, you've got five separate and they're all women in this co-op. Correct. How, how do you handle the invoicing for this? Um, and I've seen that question come up a lot um, from other vets. It's all the, we're all distinct practices. So it's just like if you took your dog to the ER, your general practitioner, you know, your usual dog vet or whatever, isn't going to have anything to do with the, the money exchanging hands with the ER, right? It's just a totally separate entity. So the invoicing, everything goes through the vet that saw the emergency. So if you're a vet that does billing, then that's on you to get the money back, right? Or if it's pay at time of service, then your payment at time of service stands like the clients pay you. So say I regularly bill my clients, but Dr. Susie goes out and they do pay at time of service, like the clients expected to pay. You go under the rules of the vet that's seeing you at the time. Um, and so there's no overlapping of the invoicing or anything like that. Another concern that comes up that's very closely tied in with that is worry over another practice being more expensive than your, than your prices and having the client see that and that being an issue. Again, that hasn't been an issue for us. I think we are probably all fairly similarly priced. Um, so I have not seen that be a, a problem. So I don't know if in another situation that could be for another vet in another part of the country where they may have a very different price 
levels than their competition or whatever than the people they may enter the co-op with. I guess that could be an issue, but we haven't, on, in my experience, we haven't seen that at all. Okay. So is there any concern while we're talking about money? I mean, emergency work is one of the ways that equine veterinarians and other vets make quite a bit of money. So is there a concern over losing some of that income by not being on call as much or is, is it a trade-off? No change. In fact, I feel like you, I probably make more money on call, but the beauty of it is it's more concentrated. So as opposed to having like those four emergency calls that could happen anytime during your week, usually during dinner, because that's when they happen, right? Um, yeah. You have them confined to that one night, that one you know, Wednesday nights, my night. So I might just be out all Wednesday night, but I'm going from one emergency to the next. And so I make that same amount of money in a, a very discreet point in time. And so, no, I have not seen any change in my income from using the call group. Cause right now you're seeing emergencies for those, you know, for five people instead of one, which can make for some hectic weekends, but generally, it, it, again, that, sen that tends to work out okay for us. We haven't had anybody be too overwhelmed, um, and has everyone's been able to handle the calls as they come in. Okay, that was that was going to be my next question: is what happens if you end up with three colics in three different parts of your county or or coverage area? Uh, do you do you have a backup, or are you just that it's you? You take care of it. It's tough. We don't have a backup and it's very rarely been an issue, but there have been occasions where it is an issue and we've discussed, do we do a backup or, you know, it's, or not, but then that other person is kind of tied up, then you're tied up doing more emergency duty. And so, um, we, we've been okay not doing that at this point. Um, as some of the other vets in the group maybe get busier and their practice grows, we might have to revisit that, but right now it's working okay for us. Um, but yes, we have some weekends where the poor vet gets hardly any sleep who's on because they're just running from one to the next. So, um, so yeah, it is a concern, but we've been, we've been okay so far. Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clotronate Injection, Orthokine Vet IREP 10 and 60, Osteocon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Vicox EQ joint supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com. Okay, and if you're setting up a co-op, when you're having some of these initial meetings, how do you... How do you look at the, the standard of care that each veterinarian has and, and how can that affect a co-op? You know, what, what is it that you want to watch for if you're trying to set this up when you're looking at standard of care? Yeah, I, I've heard that concern for sure and that people don't want to, they want to be able to know that their clients are taken care of. And so how I guess I would recommend approaching that is maybe first just start meeting with your colleagues as a type of journal club or some other type of meeting. Like maybe it doesn't have to be right away. Like we're doing a co-op, like maybe just get to know each other better first and see what kind of medicine they practice and how they handle cases. And if you're comfortable with them taking care of your clients, like, because it might be, a, it is a leap of faith to um, hand the phone over 
to a colleague. And I still like, even though I know that these doctors in my co-op are awesome and I know they're going to take care of my clients, you still get that pang of like client guilt, like, oh, that's my good client. I should be there for them or something that still happens. And I hate that. Um, it's something I try, you know, hey, I know they're taken care of. You got to let that go because you got to make a choice. Either you're choosing the client or you're choosing to be home with your family. It all comes down to a choice, right? And so you just decide which way you want to go with that. But it that can still, that still is a challenge for me sometimes. You feel like you're letting somebody down by not being there. I think it's part of the personality type for me anyway, but um, and maybe for a lot of other vets too, it's hard to to let that go. And I think it was very interesting with your co-op. I've heard of others that have maybe two or three vets and they're all only equine. So how is it when you have some some vets who have, like you said, large animal or, or large animal, small animal, ruminants or whatever, do you have to brush up a little bit before you go see that goat or sheep client? Oh, yes. And so in some of it's been a real challenge for some of us more than others. Um, the ones who do more of the ruminant work have been great. Like when we first started, we did a couple of our rounds meetings on what to do for the down cow, what to do for certain goat emergencies, like what are the top goat emergencies we see and generally how do we deal with them? So we did some of that just as a group. Um, and then also uh, like the cattle calls are ones I'm always like, oh no, it's, it's a cow call. I have to, <laughs> to figure this out. But the doctors that work on cattle more are generally one of them will be a phone call away, which has been awesome. And I don't expect them to be there, but when they're able to pick up the phone and just say, Hey, yeah, you're on the right track. That's what you do. Like that has been really helpful for me. And it really, and then you look back and it's actually kind of fun to do some stuff that just expands your comfort zone a little bit. I tend to dread them when they come in, but then once I've dealt with them, I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I went to vet school. I know how to do this stuff, but it's nice to have them as a mentor in your back pocket when you're going out to see those, those type of calls, but it's worked, it's worked well for us, but it is, it's like when you're not comfortable with it, that can be, um, it's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, it can also be hard when you have someone that's used to doing, you know, 60% cows and 40% horses that occasionally those equine folks can be a little challenging. <laughs> I'm sure it definitely goes the other way. And I guess I would say for our group, there's no large cattle you know, it's very much, I think it's a, I don't know what the percentage breakdown would be of their practice, but there's no huge dairies or anything like that. I think that would be a different situation. And that would probably make me a little more uncomfortable if I was having to deal with the more of the production side of things. These are mostly um, pet cattle or small herds. And so it's a little bit easier, I'd say. I could see it being a challenge as an equine person to go in and expect to know the more of the production type emergencies, but there's definitely cattle dystocias and and that kind of thing that we have to deal with. Yeah, the good thing is cattle reproductive tracts are very forgiving. <laughs> yes, right. And so it actually, that's where it's been kind of fun. You know, you can do it and you're like, okay, yeah, I do know how to do this. Yeah, it, it, gosh, it's, her placenta is laying out in the mud. Sure, let's clean it up and shove it back in. Sew it up. It's yeah, it's pretty, cows can be pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's amazing sometimes. Um, so if, what would your advice be if someone was looking to start a cooperative on how many vets, I mean, five seems like a lot, seems like a big area to cover. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, how, how did you all decide? And if you were advising someone, what would you suggest? Oh, good question. I know um, 
the uh, the other two doctors when we first started talking were there was three of us talking about it and they were like i want at least four they wanted a minimum of four people in it just so it was one weekend a month basically um just for their family lives and everything they that's what they were going for i was wanting anything that wasn't just me 24 7 i didn't care right <laughs> so anything was better than that um but yeah, I think it probably depends again on your practice area. We are relatively horse dense. And so even though there's five of us, it, it's the driving time is still doable. An hour or 15 minutes is like the worst. Usually occasionally there'll be something worse than that, but rarely. Um, and so I think for our area, it works. Um, but I could see in places where the patients are more spread out, this could be a challenge for sure. And so I think it's going to be location specific is the, so I just think you just have to get together and, talk to those people in your area and, and figure out what works for your specific situation. Okay, so let's, let's make all of the single ambulatory vets jealous out there. Tell us what your emergency schedule is. <laughs> so when we started, we were mostly doing just the weekends. Um, and it, we did do weeknights, but I think a lot of the vets would still cover maybe some of their emergencies, even though it wasn't there, they would just cover their own clients, right? Um, but so right now it's one day of the week and then every, like every fifth weekend, basically, cause there's five of us. So right now we tend to change the days of the week. So nobody's stuck with a less than desirable day, like coming off of the weekend. So, um, nobody always gets Monday or Thursday or Friday. Anyway, our schedules have been, we've been changing and trying some new things, but we each get a weekday and then every fifth weekend is what it basically comes down to. Um, we were just doing the weekday evenings, but then when COVID hit, um, we start, we added in the day. So like if your kid, you know, if your schools are closed and you need to take care of your kid, or if you have a doctor's appointment, it just kind of adds another level of freedom. Like if Tuesday, you just can't be available. Whoever is on Tuesday night, is generally open to being able to cover all of the Tuesday day stuff. Or if you're leaving on vacation, then Monday night person would take the Monday day emergencies. It just makes it easier to leave town when it's not just the week. It's not just the weekends that we're covering. Oh, that's, that's great. It so is you, really nice. Yeah. So let's say your day this week is Wednesday and mm -hmm. you're not on for the weekend. So you mm -hmm. would have your normal five day from whatever time to whatever time that you're handling your clients. And mm -hmm. then on your Wednesday, you would be on call starting at what time to what time? So usually the, the night before person will take it up till 8 a.m. So from 8 a.m. Um, and then till 8 a.m. the next day. And generally, if someone's going to be out for the day, we try to give the other person a courtesy heads up. Like if someone needs to stay home with the kids or if they're turning their emergency over to you that day usually someone they'll, they'll let you know so that you can be be ready for those calls if they come in I usually try to schedule my on-call day a bit lighter um awesome. and I do the yeah and I have fourth of July weekend this year so I'm also going to make sure to I'll play that Monday I'm not I'm gonna not have anything scheduled either so I'm assuming it'll be pretty busy okay, okay. so so you've got if, if you're on emergency call even if Let's say your emergency call is Wednesday. So mm -hmm. even if um, Dr. Jones is working that day, her emergencies come to you or she handles her own emergencies? Up to the doctor. So she's just, oh, she's that, let's see, that, ben, that benefit is there if she wants to use it, right? So most of us handle our own emergencies during the day. But for some reason, if you weren't able to or couldn't or didn't want to, just wanted to take a day off, whatever, like 
the person who's on call all that night is there for you if you need that. So it's just kind of given people a little more breathing room. So basically you're on you would your Wednesday on call would be from 8 a.m. Wednesday to 8 a.m. Thursday. Yep. And again, most of us cover our own day in emergencies because that income, right? We we we're set up, you know, you're usually working that day. It's not a big deal to get in your emergencies, but it's just something that's there. Like how many of us solo equine practitioners have been had tried to go to a doctor's appointment ourselves and been juggling an emergency call while you're trying to be at your own doctor's appointment. It's like stuff like that that you know, it's like, can we ever not be working? <laughs> so, so it's, it's just nice to be able to say, oh, okay, I can actually turn my phone off and go take care of some personal things that need to happen between 9am and 5pm, like normal people. <laughs> so it's allowed us to be able to do that, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great way to balance, but there has to be some cons. So what would you say if, if you, what, what are the biggest downsides of this? Good question. I guess the biggest thing for me is I don't do a lot of cattle work. So that's been tough for me. Um, the driving, right? So you're going to be driving a lot more on those nights or when you're on, like you probably drive to areas that you may not normally cover on a regular day, but you're covering someone else's coverage area. So you go. Um, but I would say, I'm trying to think if there's any others. I mean, those are the biggest things. I never worry about the level of care that these other vet in the co-op are providing. I trust them completely with my clients. Everybody's great. And also about returning care, turning care back over to the regular veterinarian the following day. Um, we just have a good group that has a good communication, whether that's via text or a phone call or an email. Everybody does it a little differently, but uh, the communication has been great among this group. But yeah, like the cons, I'm trying to think if there's any other cons. I have lost, I think, a client or two because of the co-op, but mostly I can think of one um, because most of the veterinarians are further north than me. I'm the um, furthest one to the south, and so I did have some clients in a, the more horse-dense Ocala area, and so that means that they could get a veterinarian from one of the Ocala area hospitals much quicker then they could get one of my on-call vets and they were frustrated that I wasn't available 24 seven to them anymore and that it would take an hour for the on-call vet to get to them, which is understanding. I mean, that's understandable. They wanted somebody there faster and they had an opportunity to have somebody there faster. And so I lost them as a client, but it's a trade-off and I was okay with that. Like I couldn't provide her with that 24 seven care anymore. Like she was used to having for, you know, the several years before the co-op. And so I guess, I mean, basically it's a business thing, right? I wasn't providing a service that she wanted anymore and she could find the service she needed. And so she moved on. So right, that, that's going to happen sometimes. And I was okay with that. I didn't want to be her 24 seven person. <laughs> so I want to, I want to go back up in theory and talk a little bit about the communication. Um, mm -hmm. I think that being on an emergency and trying to share that information back to the regular attending veterinarian would be critical. So how do you all do that? How's that handled? Um, again, everybody has their own communication styles. Like one of the vets uh, just does the medical record. And then like, say I'm seeing another um, vet's client, I would put them in and I would put like my software lets me put other interested parties as like a contact on excuse me, on that animal. And so I would, I have all the other vets in my software. And so I'll put them as another interested contact. So then when I'm going to send the like 
discharge instructions. I just CC them on the discharge instructions that I'm sending the client. And so right there that um, the client gets the follow-up and so does the regular vet, which basically has my, my diagnosis and the follow-up care that I recommended. And so they're on the same page as what I told the client. Um, Great. There's, there's another vet that likes to call and do the voice memos. Like she'll call and leave a long voice message with what she's seen and what her plan was. Um, some people, you know, do a text and say, Hey, can I call now? It's like 8 a.m. on Monday morning. I'm going to call and tell you everybody I saw for you over the weekend. And they do it just over the phone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every, again, everybody does it a little bit differently, but it always happens. And that's what's important. Well, that's great. Well, is there anything else that you can think of? If I know a lot of veterinarians would love to have what you're describing here today. Is there anything else you can suggest on starting besides maybe just having some general meetings and getting to know the practitioners in your area? Do you have a contract with these people? I mean, what 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 would you suggest? We kind of laid down some quote unquote rules when we started just so everybody was on the same page. Um, and you kind of learn stuff from other co-ops that have failed since there have been co-ops in this area that, you know, that sometimes fall apart or whatever. And so one thing was making it very clear that you will be expected to see some small and large ruminants. That's just part of the co-op. You just need to know that going in, right? Because there would be other vets in the past where, you know, they didn't want to see the cattle. Like, that's not an option. If you're covering call for somebody that sees cattle, you got to go see the cows, right? right. Um, so that was, that was a concern that they had. So they wanted to put that out there. And, you know, so we had this little... Um, we have a document that we keep our schedule on, just like a Google document that we can constantly edit. And so that we kind of put these up in the corner there. Okay, here's the kind of written rules, what basically of the co-op. Um, so that was one thing that was important. Um, and then we also wrote to down that the primary practitioner is going to be updated on all cases seen at the end of each on-call period. So just to put that in writing to make sure everyone understood. Um, other things that we said... Um, that all established clients, regardless of their location, needed to be provided service. So there wasn't a kind of like, oh, you're too far out. If you are truly a regular client of a vet in the co-op, even if it's an hour and half drive or whatever, they needed to be seen. So that was something that we also established early on. So we did have some written rules. So I think it's a good idea, again, just so everybody's on the same page, that it's if you write it down somewhere, it's like, okay, we all understand it. But we never did a contract. There was nothing legal about anything we did. Um, I think when we did the little, um, the AEP table topic, people were worried about like liability insurance and stuff, but it, there's no overlap in the business. Like you are your own vet. You're going out and providing a service to a client like you would with your regular practice. So you're not working under anyone else's liability like that. There wasn't, so we haven't done any of that legal end of things because we didn't see any need to. Okay. That's good. Okay, is there anything else, Dr. McCleary, that you can say about having a, an emergency co-op? I think one other thing that's been really nice that I didn't foresee is that having your on-call time be so defined and knowing that you'll most likely be working when you are on call has allowed me to also pay for the technician. Um, I didn't have technicians the whole time I practiced. I've only had them, I think, the past four or five years, and it's been a big game changer to have somebody drive where you do medical records and that kind of thing. And it's just, it's safer because I know that when we're all trying to drive ourselves, like everyone's, it's, it's not safe. It wasn't when I was a solo practitioner driving myself around, you're trying to multitask and um, 
and you shouldn't be, you should just be driving. So being able to have that technician while I'm doing emergency has been great because she drives. It's also safer because it's usually after hours. It's good to have another person there because we all know we've been in situations where you're, you don't know where you're going or who you're going to see and um, sometimes can feel unsafe, but it always helps when there's two of you. So that's been an unexpected bonus, right? So I'm able, it's not like you're having somebody who's, because I pay her just to be available. And then I also pay her for the hours that she works for me. So she gets a small amount just for not scheduling anything personally. And so if I do call her and then she gets paid for hourly for when I do call her. Um, and so it's allowed me to do that. And so if it was all the time, it would be hard to, you know, have her, no one wants to live like that. So it'd be hard to have anybody do that. So it's let me hire a technician for those times, which has been great. Oh, that, that, that is Okay, well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to, to kind of give us an, a glimpse into your all's emergency co-op. And I think this will be a big help for others in the industry who might be thinking of doing this. So we really appreciate you joining us today on the Disease Du Jour podcast, Dr. McCleary. It's been great talking with you. Thank you, Kimberly. Okay, we want to uh, thank all of our listeners for joining us today for the Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decra Veterinary Products. Please visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network, such as iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, to hear each episode of The Business of Practice. If you have any questions or suggestions, send me an email to kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 